Listen, I want to thank you once again. Like I said, I don't know. I know there's some different people here, but uh, you guys really came together this Christmas. I told you we gave over we gave over uh, nine thousand dollars away of just gifts and and p- helping people with food. We gave a lot of pe- a lot of meals away and uh, and just blessed a lot of kids. And I actually got to see a handful of those kids receiving some gifts. So it was it was a great blessing. But we could not have done it without your support. So I very much appreciate. Uh, that there's even some things still going on right now with that, so so we're just grateful that you guys were able to to help us with that. You guys are good about stuff like that. I appreciate you very much, and uh, I also appreciate you. I just want to ask you to continue to be in prayer for some folks. Uh, Laureen Sinners, she 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 lost her brother this week, and then also, uh, so I want you to be in prayer for their family, but also uh, a, a long a, a guy that's been a member of our church here for, since before I was here. Bob Gray passed away this past week, and, and we love, Bob was a good friend of mine. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with Bob, but he was, he was a wonderful man. Everybody that knows him knows that. He loved this church. He loved these people. He loved you. And uh, he always was trying to figure out how to, how to bless somebody around him, and he was always cutting up and just making things light and happy. But uh, listen, here's the good news. We know that Bob is with Jesus today. Amen. But, uh, but it's hard for those of us that whenever we experience death and, and whenever we experience loss. So I just would ask you to please be in prayer for Barb. Please be in prayer for Kayla. The funeral is going to be today at 2. I know a lot of you are going to help us uh, feed them afterwards. And uh, we're going to try to take the meal to them after the funeral. But uh, just be in prayer for them. Keep them in your prayers today. And, uh, and maybe you can make it to the funeral as well at 2 if, if, if you've got plans to do that. But uh, but again, uh, good morning to you, and, and thanks for coming. Just like Jeremy said, you know, at the beginning of every year, we usually do about 21 days of prayer and fasting. I switched the name on it. I said 21 days of consecration, because sometimes when you say 21 days of prayer and fasting, everybody just automatically tunes out. Like, no, nah, I ain't doing none of that. Uh, but if you look at it as consecration, if you begin to look at it as a means of saying, you know what, cons- what consecration means is I'm going to set myself apart from certain things in order, in order to tune into the one thing that matters, and that is God. And at the beginning of the year, I don't know about you, but almost at the, at the end of every year, I sort, of, I sort of look back and evaluate my year. I look at how I've grown, if I grew at all. Maybe I got worse, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I sort of moved away from God in a, in a direction or two, and I need to refine some things, and I need to get tuned back into God. So I, as much as I hate prayer and fasting, all right, and I shouldn't say I hate prayer and fasting, but, uh, but as much as I hate not eating, I should say, when, I, when fasting is mixed with prayer, for me, it has been one of the, the, the most powerful tools that God has given me that has absolutely brought me into transformational moments in my life. And it continues to sustain me. And so, so often in my life, I, I find myself getting weak. I find myself getting dull. I feel distant from God. And God draws me back into a place of consecration. He says, Clay, you've, you've gotten too attached to certain things of this world. You need to lay some things aside. You need to be intentional about about giving me some of your time. You need to get back into the Word in, in greater depth. You need to get back into study. You need to get back into prayer. And you need to take some time. You need to push the plate back. You need to not eat some in order to, to, to focus in on prayer. And I'm telling you, there's something that just reignites in my heart and in my spirit. And God begins to speak to me and, and He begins to pour out revelation. And so I, I kind of force myself to do that at the beginning of every year especially and then periodically throughout the year. And, and so I want to kind of speak into that. Now I will say, if you've got more questions about prayer and fasting, there's tons.
tons of resources out there. There's even messages that we've preached. If you go back in the years, I think usually we'll, we'll preach one around this time of year, something uh, in line with that that you can go back and listen to on our podcast. But man, I know your faces, you're so excited about not eating some. Praise God. It's glorious. But I mean, not eating could help some people out. I mean, how many of y'all you just had, you gorged on some pies? Like I ate so much here a couple of days that I thought I might just die. I mean, it, it, was, it was sinful and gluttonous and, 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 I, had to, and I had to turn back to the Lord. Uh, but listen, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning of new wine. She was just singing that song, New Wine. And, uh, and I want to speak to you on that particular subject and we'll get into it. But I kind of just want to talk to you a little bit. This may be a little bit different of a message this morning, but I just want to share some of my heart, some things that, that I'm believing God for and, uh, and, and some things that God always causes me to do at the end of the year. But, uh, but here's the thing, just like I said, when we, when we get to this place of a new year, now how many of you actually believe deep down? I think everybody does deep down. The question is not whether or not people believe that God has more for them. The question is whether or not we're willing to yield to the more that God has. Amen. God's got more for us. God has more for me. He has more for you. He wants to make us more like Himself. He wants to pour His Spirit into our lives. When He looks at our church, when He looks at our ministry, when He looks at our potential, I know that God is looking into this future and saying, wow, the possibilities of what could happen through these people. The possibilities of what could happen through that individual this year. What I could do through that person's heart this year. I could break chains. I could set them free. I could use them to bless people in a way that they've never been used before. There are amazing possibilities and potential for the year to come and just in our lives in general. But I think it's important that sometimes we do evaluate. We stop and we reflect and we look at where we are currently at. What did this last year look like? Now for me, I got to be honest with you, it was a tough year. It was a challenging year. It was a different year, but I liked the year. I kind of liked what COVID did to some degree. It slowed people down. I like when people get slowed down. Now, obviously, there were some terrible things that came throughout this year. But listen, there are terrible things that happen every year. And God's still at thr on the throne, and God is still at work, and God is still doing amazing things. And I believe that God could have been allowing certain things to happen in our own hearts this year because He's preparing us for something greater. You, you say amen to that. But see, here's the thing that you got to understand is that God has always called us to grow. You agree with that? If something is not growing, it's because it's dying. It's because it's dying. We talk about growth. You know, we, we took Naomi to the, to the doctor for her one-month checkup here recently, and, and they come out, and they said, you know, when Naomi was born, she was like the 33rd percentile in, her, in, her, in, in length, basically, in her height. And then, and then she jumped to the 95th percentile. They said, she grew three inches. And then I went back. I was all proud. You know, my baby's going to be tall, y'all. I mean, it's... WNBA or something like this coming up. And then Andrea said, Andrea said, Clay, she didn't grow three inches. That girl was trying to get her stretched out and ended up pulling her head down three inches. She might have grown a half inch. But that's the kind of growth we want, don't we? I mean, sometimes we want growth where somebody just pulls us up, where we don't have to put in any effort. We just want it to come with ease. We want to lie about growth. We want to look back and say, man, I, it look, I've grown this year. I, I look more like Jesus, feel more like Jesus. Things are going good. And really, it's not true, you know. And, and, and sometimes that hurts, sometimes that stings. But we have to look into our hearts and say, God, where did I not yield to you this year? How can I make changes right now? Because the last thing I want to do is grow 
grow stagnant and stay where I'm at and stop growing and flatline. And I'm telling you, churches across the world, in Clay County, throughout history, I've been a part of churches that have been at the very same level of growth for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, or maybe even on the decline. And the last thing that I want to do is look at this church and say, you know what, we're the same now as we was five years ago. And we're going to be the same in five years as we are right now. That cannot be if God is moving in our midst. If we're allowing God to have control of our lives, it cannot be that next year I'm going to be the same as I was this year. God is taking me from faith to faith. He's taking me from glory to glory. And His goal is for me to be more like Jesus every day. Somebody amen me, right? And so I'm looking forward to growth, but here's, here's the problem. Here's a, here's a definition of grow, if you just look it up. And it just means simply this, to increase gradually in size or amount. You would agree with that, right? If you look it up in Webster's, that's what it's going to tell you. To increase gradually in size or amount. But if you read that definition, I'll tell you what we, what we really don't like about that definition is we don't like the word gradual, Right? Nobody likes the word gradual because this is when it, com- when it comes to prayer and fasting. When we call prayer meetings, usually very few people show up. Very few. And I'll tell you why. Because in prayer and in the moment of prayer, it feels like nothing is changing. It feels like nothing is growing. It feels like nothing is happening. And spiritual things often feel like nothing is actually taking place when you're doing them. Many of you, you read your Bible, you get in prayer, you get in certain things like that, and you're like, nothing's happening. This is boring. I'm not making any impact. Nothing's changing. But you've got to understand that spiritual growth often takes place gradually. And that's the reason so many people give it up. And when you are dedicated to God, when you're focused on Jesus, when you're in the Word, when you're in prayer, when you're seeking God's face, in that moment, it fe- I'm telling you, if you choose to fast and pray, whatever you choose to do, if you say, I'm going to go three days or I'm going to do this for 21 days, those 21 days are probably going to be 21 days of, of, of a little bit of torment. Amen. But it's breaking something in you. He's breaking up new ground, so to speak. He's preparing your heart to receive something because He wants to pour something into you, but your heart is not ready for it. Some things need to be broken up. And transformation often happens like this. It happens very gradually. You can't see any change. And then there are crisis moments where there's big change. But what we want is we want to skip the process and have big change right out of the bat. That's why in a lot of churches I've been to, people will have, be, be having the worst addictions, the worst things in the world. What they want is somebody lay hands on them and them get free instantly. You know what? I thank God for that. I'm all for testing it out and trying the waters. Let's lay hands on them and believe God will set them free instantly. But let me tell you something. Biblically, scripturally, if we get into spiritual growth, they've got to be committed to Christ day in, day out. That's how the freedom, that's how the transformation comes. It doesn't always come through just a quick laying on of hands. There is a gradual growth process that we've got to be committed to. Now, in the New Testament, there are two words for grow. Uh, one of them is in Luke 2. 4, one of them's, I should say this, both of the words are used concerning the life of Jesus. In Luke 2.40, it says, And the child grew. That word in the Greek is oxano. And it, and it, and it basically just means this. That word for grow just means like, like baby Naomi here. She's just going to grow Because the spirit of life is in her. It's a natural process. All you got to do is keep feeding her and, and, you know, wiping her tail and keeping her clean and keeping her happy. And she's just going to grow naturally. She's put on some pounds and she's going to continue to grow. And it just happens naturally. And, And so Jesus grew the same way that you and I do. We talk about his birth on Christmas. He grew, but he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom 
and the grace of God was upon him. And then it says in, in 252 of, of Luke, it says, in Jesus increased. Now this word increased here is prokopto. It can actually be translated grow as well. And, and he says, Jesus increased or he grew in wisdom and stature. That was literally his physical growth. He went from a baby to a 33-year-old man like myself. We probably look very similar, I'm sure. Uh, but, but, but he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And he grew in that area. Now this, this word is different. This prokopto, it, mean, it means something different because what it literally means is to make a conscious effort to advance. In other words, this kind of growth did not come because he sat back and ate tater chips while he was watching his dad Joseph out there doing carpentry work. Jesus was in the scripture. He was going to the temple. He was doing what he was doing. You know, some people say, well, we, we hate religion. Let me tell you something. Jesus was a religious man. And you say, oh my gosh, you can't say that. What, I'm, what is religion anyway? Religion is the practices that we do in order to grow closer to God. Now, when religion becomes bad is when you have an outward form but no real relationship with God. But see, Jesus had religious practices, but those actually helped him in his relationship with God. This is why people will say, well, I, ain't going, I don't have to go to church. I'm not religious. I'm, I'm spiritual, they'll say. Well, let me tell you something. If going to church, if you... If you're saying that's not healthy for you, can I tell you something? You're wrong. Congratulations. It's okay to be wrong every now and then. You just got to be open for correction. And can I tell you that I, I'm not a religious person in the sense that, that all I care about is the externals, but I have no relationship with God. First and foremost is my relationship with God. But guess what? I have religious practices in order to help my relationship with God. That means that I religiously pray. I religiously come to church. You're going to catch me here on Sundays. Amen. I, I religiously fast. There are moments periodically where I take a day. I take three days. I take seven days throughout the year. And I don't eat and I spend time in prayer to God. I do that religiously. Why? Because I want my relationship with God to be strong and effective and real. Right. And so and, and so Jesus had this and he was making a conscious effort to advance. If you literally look at the word in Greek, it can mean to cut a way forward. You ever been out in the woods? We, me, me and Craig was was getting a spot ready to deer hunt. It didn't work out anyway. I actually listen. I didn't kill a deer this year, but I hit one this morning. Praise God. Right. In the vehicle. That was a little bit unfortunate. It didn't damage my vehicle too much. Just a little blood and hair on the side of it. But it's all good. But that's what happens when you don't kill deer, when you set out to kill deer and you don't kill them, they'll come after you. Uh, anyway, let me move on. I'm crazy. Uh, he says, so the word means to cut away forward. So we were setting up for, for hunting this year and we got in there, you know, and listen, there, it's thick in, in certain spots. So what, what Craig got his chainsaw, son, and he was cutting away forward through there. In other words, in your life, in your spiritual growth, right, you have got to consciously say, there are things in my life that are hindering me from moving that direction. And what I've got to do is take a spiritual chainsaw and cut a way forward because I need to grow in wisdom. I need to grow in favor and in grace with God. And man, I need to grow in my understanding and knowledge of the scriptures. I need to cut a way forward. And if I'm going to do that, there are some trees blocking my path. There are things that, that are superfluous, that are no good in my life, that need to be cut down and removed so that I can cut a way forward. And Jesus was intentional. And here's the thing you got to ask yourself this question. Am I making a conscious effort to advance as a dad, as a disciple of Jesus, as a pastor, as a friend, as a wife? 
as a teacher or whatever it is that your place of employment is, am I making a conscious effort to actually get better at what it is that I'm doing? The second definition for that word is growth from an outside influence. That means that something is acting upon you from the outside in order to make you grow. And how many of y'all, you've went through some things this year that something happened on the outside of you that forced you to grow? Like at the beginning of this year, we never even cared about being online, to be honest with you. And, 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 if, I'm, and if I am being honest, online church for me is kind of like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't care that much about it because I feel like the body of believers needs to be together physically. There is something. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm for online church because if that's the only route you can go, it is better than nothing. It is better than nothing. But what happened with us was there was an outside influence called COVID-19 that shut things down for a while. And what were we for? We were forced to grow in the area of online church. It forced us to grow. But in our, in our life, in our life, there are often things that happen and we can either get bitter about it and say, well, this is unfortunate. We ain't going to be able to move past this. Or you can take the outward circumstances that are being placed upon you and say, this is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for change and transformation. And if God is at work in your life, and He is, and He's sovereign over all things, then there is nothing that He will not use for your growth and bring it about in your life. But see, God is constantly acting on us. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Now, don't, get, don't misunderstand this. This is not a verse that teaches you that you can earn your own salvation or that you need to work to get to heaven. Jesus Christ has finished the work of salvation on the cross of Calvary, and the only way that we are saved is by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. And you say, well, what is He talking about here then? What He's talking about is that when you are saved, it produces something in you. Salvation ends up coming out of you. If you've been saved and you've put true faith in Jesus Christ, it changes who you are. And what he's saying is, is that God is working salvation in you. And if he's working that salvation in you, then you become a participant in your ongoing transformation and you work that salvation out. Amen. I don't know. See, see I'm saved. The Lord Jesus Christ saved my soul. He came out and reached out and grabbed a hold of me when I wasn't reaching out for nothing. When I was not turning to Him, He came and He pulled me toward Him. And when I turned, my faith I placed in Him and He transformed me. But then He invited me into this relationship. And He says, Clay, now you can grow. But I need you to participate with me. I need you to make a conscious effort to advance and to move forward. Now, that's a question you got to ask ourselves. And ask yourself this. Did I grow this year? Did I, did I change? Did I get any better at the things that I do? Or was I completely fine with just staying right where I'm at and, and complacent? Did I, did I move forward in any way? Now, when I went to seminary, one of the things that I was stu studying about was my own personal growth a lot. And I developed this little chart, and I'm going to share it with you. It may be weird. You may understand it. You may say that makes no sense, Clay. But I'm going to share it with you anyway. So this, this chart... If you put that up there, no be-do. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? I made that like yesterday. Okay. No be-do. 
Now, the point of this is this, is that when, when we're growing in our relationship with God, I want a holistic growth. I don't want to just be one way or the other or one direction or the other. But these three aspects kind of put together a life that is centered on Jesus and focused in Jesus and is multidimensional and balanced. I need a balanced relationship with God because what happens in our relationship with God is we pick the things we like to do and we leave off the things we don't like to do. Some people will say to me sometimes, they'll say, well, you know, I just don't like really the scripture and reading it and listening to sermons much, but I love worship music. Can I tell you that ain't going to work for your relationship this year with God? It's not going to work. You need a holistic relationship. Well, I just don't like to read. Well, you need to learn how to like to read because God gave you that gift and that ability. And you've got to develop that because God gave you His Word. And the way that you study His Word, guess what? It's through reading. Amen. Right? That's how it works. I know I'm being a little bit straightforward, but this is going to help you if you listen to me this morning. It's going to help you really, really good. So the first part of it is this. Essentially, if I'm, if I'm going to grow my relationship with God, it starts at the top right here in, in, the, in the know. It starts in my mind. The scripture says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and your mind and your strength. So what you have is your head, you have your mind, you have your heart and soul over here, and then you have your strength, your hands. And these three aspects are always working together. So when I'm evaluating my life, I'm looking at these three areas to find out if I'm growing in these three areas. So if I start from the top, if, I, if I'm going to know God and have a true knowledge of God, why don't you move to the next slide, let's look at some of these. Knowing in, in, my, in my head, knowing God in my head is about right belief. And what this means is I've got to get into Scripture. I've got to study theology even. I've got, what does that mean? That means that I've got to know about God and know who God is. Because let me tell you something, folks. We live in a world where everybody claims to know God, but, no, but very few people know God biblically and know God in truth. Very few people. We say, well, I love God, but they think God is this or they think God is that. They think God looks far different than Jesus Christ. They're not rooted and grounded in His Word. And see, if, here's the thing. I've got to be, be studying. I've got to be reading. I've got to be meditating. My question to you is right now, this year, did you even read the Bible at all? Right? That's a good question, right? And you say, if, well, if you didn't, it's not, it's, not, it's not that I'm here to condemn you. I'm here to say that you basically missed a year of opportunity for, for supernatural growth in your life because you were missing out on the key ingredient to all spiritual growth, and that is the Word of God. So right now at the beginning of the year, I would encourage you, man, there are so many materials. There's a Bible in one year app where you can literally read through the Bible in a year and have a devotion right there on your phone for everything that you need. And you can read it in different translations. There are too many materials and resources out there to not be in the Word of God, at least in some form or fashion. And see, so you got to ask yourself, am I actually in Scripture? Am I studying to know who God is in truth? And am I meditating on His Word? Have I, did, did I read at least one book this year? What, what I try to do, I try to read 24 books a year. I try to read two, at least two books a month. And most of those books, not all of those books, every now and then I'll throw a fiction book in there just to, just to keep my mind sharp. But I try my very best to read at least two books a month. And I like those books to be geared toward my own personal spiritual growth or me being a better pastor or a better leader or a better father or a better husband. Something that is going to help me develop myself as a human being, as a person and gain the knowledge that I need in order to not just better myself but better others. Amen? I want to grow in knowledge. Now the danger of this top portion is because here's the problem. Many of us as, as human beings, we like to focus on one aspect or the other. And if I were to gauge every person in this church, some of you will focus on the knowing part, the head part. Y'all love head knowledge. I love head knowledge, right? 
And, 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 but then some people just focused on the heart. You're all emotional and sentimental and you love people. You don't like to read, but you love people and you love to pray. But really, you just like to pray and you don't necessarily know what you're praying that much because uh, you don't read the scripture that much. But then other people, man, they just want to do. I just want to do something. We need to, I've heard people, I've heard even pastors say, you know what? We need to quit praying so much and do something. Well, how about we just keep praying a whole lot and do stuff at the same time, right? I think those two would work together just fine. And so, but here's the point, is that if I stay only in the know, my danger is intellectualism. What does that mean? That means that all my relationship with God is only about what I know. And then what happens is I actually like to debate people rather than lead people to Jesus. Y'all ever met somebody like that? I've met Christians that all they are stuck so much up in right doctrine, right belief, head knowledge, understanding of God, theology, that, that they think winning somebody to Jesus is getting them to believe the very specific doctrine that they believe. This is error. That's why what you hear about God, what you know about God, what you learn about God, the Jewish people believed that you should pray your head knowledge down into your heart. That's how, they, that's how they would phrase it almost. Because the word know in the Hebrew language is actually the word yada, and it means experience. You say, well, what does that mean, Clay? What's that got to do with us? What's got, what it's got to do with that, us is if I say knowledge, if I say knowledge, you think about what you know in your mind. If Hebrew people said knowledge, they thought about what they experienced in their heart. To know God was not just to have head knowledge. It was to have an experience with God. This is why 1 John 2, 4, it says, The man that says that he knows God, but does not keep his commandments, he says, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In other words, he says, if you know God, you've had an experience with him where it's changed you, and now you do what he says. If you're not doing what he says, you've actually not had a relationship with God where you know him in your heart. You might know of him in your head, but it's not actually got down into your heart yet. All kinds of people are that way. Would you agree with that? We need a salvation that is fully transformational. If, if, if the salvation I have has not changed who I am, it's not salvation at all. And so he's saying, you could pray this down into your heart and it changes your affections. So I got to make sure there, right, that I'm in the Bible, I'm studying, I'm reading, but then I got to make sure in this other aspect that I'm becoming something, that my heart is changing. And in this sense, I've got to make sure, what's my worship life look like? Like when I come into church, am I excited about worship? Am, am, am I taking a step of maybe lifting my hands and singing to the Lord and then letting it be more about just than, than just listening to somebody sing songs? I, I talked to some, some people on the worship team the other day and I was we were talking about the fact that, man, we've got so many wonderful musicians and vocalists and, 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 and everybody's just, it's amazing what they can do. But at the same time, if we are leading you in worship and you're not coming into a place where you are lost in the presence of God and you're learning to not just listen and say, wow, those are some beautiful singers, but you're learning to engage God in spirit and in truth and it's transforming you while you're listening to the music, then we're missing the mark. So we're moving into a place where worship's becoming something, where I'm moving. What, what's my prayer life look like? Has it changed at all? Do I even spend time in prayer anymore? Do I have fellowship do I have fellowship with people where I can talk to God, uh, talk to them about God and about certain things in my life? Do I have communion? Do I have devotion? Do I have time set apart where I'm not just reading the Bible, but I'm letting the Bible read me and I'm letting Jesus change my life? Am I becoming something different, right? So I'm, I'm looking at those two aspects, but then thirdly, I got to make sure that I'm looking at another aspect. And what I know in my head and what I'm becoming in my heart is no good unless it flows out of my life through my hands. 
And then I have to not just know, I don't, I don't just do what Jesus is, is, is telling me but, or, or be that, but I do something. I, I come into right practice, which is evangelism. If I know about God and I'm becoming like God, well, guess what? I start to share this God and this salvation and this gospel with others. I reach out. There's outreach that's involved. I become a witness. And the question you got to ask yourself is, if you're growing spiritually, then you ask yourself this question. As a Christian, I'm growing spiritually. Did I even witness to one person this year? Did I share Jesus with one person this year? And I know this is convicting for most people, right? Did, did, I, did I work towards praying for one lost person and, and, saying, and saying, how can I help lead this person to Jesus? How can I get them closer to Jesus? And see, it flows out in good works. It flows out in discipleship. How am I blessing others so that my light is shining before men? So I look at these three aspects every year. And, I, and honestly, every time I look at it, I'm convicted. Because what I do is I say, you know what? There, there's things in my study life where I, I've not developed that the way that I should. I can grow in certain areas. Now, I ain't, look. I ain't going to beat myself up. I don't know about y'all. I'm going to stay in a position of joy because I'm saved and the Lord's good. I know that I could do things a lot better. You could do a lot things a lot better. But that never gives us the right to beat ourselves down. You're God's beloved. This is just a place where God can lovingly correct us and say, guess what? I got more for you. But if you're going to receive the more, I need you to change just a few things. I need you to advance and be intentional about moving forward and coming into this place where you're doing these three things and you're growing in all of these areas. You say amen to that. Amen. amen. In John 15, 4, Jesus said this. He said, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless until you live your life intimately joined to me. There is nothing greater than our life with Jesus. And see, but if we, if we move into that B part, the danger is just sentimentalism. Like I said, the danger is just that we become so caught up in prayer and loving people that we're, we're, we have no truth. And you can say you love people all you want, but the scripture says faith without works is dead. It has to move into doing. And see, what happens is in Acts 1-4 is it says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. And then in verse 8 He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now listen, they had been taught knowledge for three years. Jesus had taught them for three years. They had experienced these things and they had learned how to pray. Matter of fact, they asked Jesus one time, Lord, teach us how to pray. And He taught them that life. They had, a, they had this tutelage for three years where they were His disciples learning. And then it was getting down into their heart. But guess what? They were still afraid. After Jesus had died on the cross, they hid for fear of the Jews. So it was not flowing out of them yet. And Jesus comes to them. He says, listen, fellas, I've taught you for three years. I'm raised from the dead now. I'm about to go be with my father. And what I need you to do is I need you to go into an upper room and I need you to pray. And they prayed together for 10, for 10 days. And on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit shows up. And when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, all of a sudden what was in their head and what had come into their heart, began, they began to be empowered so that it began to flow out of their hands. And they came out of that upper room empowered. The Bible says that they were all speaking in other languages and, and tongues. And everybody was listening to them speak the wonderful works of God in their own language. And these men that had been afraid to proclaim the gospel, all of a sudden, it's now coming out of them. And I love what it says because in Acts 2.13, when they saw them come out of this upper room, what they said, others mocking them said, man, these guys are full of new wine. 
These guys are out here and they have just tied one on all night up in that upper room and have come out having to, you know, they're just a little bit wild, these fellas are. And, 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 and Peter stands up and says, hey, man, these guys ain't drunk as you suppose. He said, it ain't but 9 a.m. He said, we ain't got drunk yet. I'm just kidding. They weren't going to either. Amen. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And all of a sudden, the scriptures that had been in his head, that he had hidden in his heart, begin to come out of his mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he quotes the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says that he shall pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And in those days, he'll pour out his spirit upon his servants and his handmaidens and they shall prophesy. And he begins to preach. And all of a sudden, now he's got a gathering because there's a transformation that's happened in his heart and he prepared himself and this new wine is being poured out and what happens when that new wine of the Holy Spirit is poured out? He begins to speak the gospel. Man, he's pulling scriptures out of Psalms. He is testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people who were saying crucify Jesus now hear the gospel preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and what do they say? They say, man, our hearts are convicted. What must we do to be saved? And 3,000 people were saved that day. New wine was poured out on them. Why? Because they had been prepared for three years. They become men and women of prayer. And when the Holy Spirit activated it because they were ready, because God had prepared them, new wine was poured out. Now look, look at this. Here's what, when new wine is poured out in, in, in the life of a church, here's what the church looks like. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers were in fellowship as one body. And they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. And daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. See, this is what happens. You start to see community. You start to see people that are hungry to get together and pray. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's at work. When people are like, man, can we get together and pray? Well, the Holy Spirit's at work right there. Because people don't usually ask that question, but when people start to gather in the name of Jesus Christ, they're in praise, they're in worship, they want to gather. When you call an extra service and they say, boys, we want to go to that because we believe the presence of God's going to be there. Something is happening and new wine is being poured out in our midst. When the gospel goes forth and people actually get saved, somebody amen me, we know that God is moving in our midst. We need to see the gospel preached and people saved when that takes place. But see, when we're willing to seek the Lord, and we're open for transformation of the way that we were, God wants to pour out this new wine. Now let me, let me give you a few things that new wine symbolizes. Number one, new wine symbolizes being filled with the Holy Spirit. It symbolizes being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess. In other words, he's saying if you get drunk with wine, you'll lose yourself. You'll get lost and another spirit will take a hold of you. That's what happens. Y'all ever seen a drunk person? Amen. Right? They lose themselves. But he said, don't be drunk with wine in which is excess, 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you need to be intoxicated, but you need to be intoxicated with something entirely different. You need to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. You need to be consumed with the power of God, with the fire of His Spirit that produces a, 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 a fire in you where you want the gospel to go forward. You want to be more like Jesus, right? It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, there's a renewed love and intimacy with God. In the Song of Solomon, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, We will be glad and rejoice in you. You, we will remember your love more than wine, it says. We will remember your love more than wine. Now, what he's saying is that whenever God pours out his spirit, he wants to renew love and intimacy. Ask, you got to ask yourself, God, am I, am, am I, I remember, I remember whenever I first met Andrea, one of the things that she said to me is one of the greatest compliments that I ever had in my life. She said, what I can tell about you is that you and God are friends. And that was probably one of the best compliments I'd ever gotten in my life. And what I have to ask myself sometimes, I find myself talking to the Lord sometimes and saying, Lord, I'm a pastor. I study your word. But my God, please never, never let me lose my friendship with you. Please never let me lose my intimacy with you. Because I'll catch myself getting so busy doing ministry and doing things that I forget to be with Jesus. Anybody amen me on that? And we cannot lose our love and intimacy with Jesus. The most important thing in your life this year is not your job. It's not even your family. The most important thing in your life this year is your intimacy with Jesus Christ. And I promise you, if that is first, your job and your family will be just fine. Everything else will be just fine. But number three... New wine symbolizes trial giving way to joy. In other words, just like the song saying, in the crushing and in the pressing, you are making new wine. In other words, when we go through difficulty and our life seems like we're having struggles, I promise you God's intention is to use that struggle, to use that trial to make something new out of you. He's preparing you for a greater measure of what He can pour into your life if you can go through it. And when we're pressed and when we're crushed, He wants to produce new wine in us. Number four, new wine symbolizes harvest time. In the Old Testament, every time God would talk about new wine, it was because there was a harvest that was coming in. In other words, when God pours out something new in us, something changes and we desire to see souls saved. We want to see a harvest. When, when in my life, and here's another thing, and I, I'm just going to speak from my perspective to help you out and not feel like I'm just pointing the finger at you. But in my, from my perspective as a pastor, I can get so caught up in wanting to do church well that I'm no longer passionate about lost people being saved. That's sad, isn't it? And when, when God pours out His Spirit, there's something in us where what we want is to see a harvest of souls being saved. And then number five is new wine symbolizes celebration of God's promises fulfilled. He told them, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. I'm going to bring you into a land of abundance, a land of milk and honey and of new wine and grain. And he basically was saying, all of my promises are going to be fulfilled in you and in your life. So God wants to pour something new in our lives. And here's the thing, we've got to get ready for that. If He's going to pour it in, our hearts have to be prepared. He will not pour into our lives or into a vessel that is not prepared and ready to receive. And one of the ways that we do this is through fasting. Now, it's so interesting. Prayer and fasting, like I said. Now, when, for me, whenever I was, I was about 19 or 20 years old. And if I'm being honest, when I was a senior in high school, I remember having an experience where uh, I felt God pulling on my heart. You ever experienced that? 
You just the first time you ever got saved, man, you feel God just pulling on you, and it's something that you can't hardly resist. It just about drives you crazy. And the Holy Spirit draws us, right? None, none comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them. And I began to be drawn sometime around that, but I would resist that. I'd try to push away from that. And I, and I, I liked alcohol too much. I liked partying too much. There were certain things that I just wasn't willing to give up, but God kept pulling on my heart. And it got to the point where I was so miserable that I wanted to change. I wanted transformation. But when I tried to live for God, I failed miserably. I kept going back to drinking. I kept going back to drugs. I kept going back to things that I didn't want to be doing anymore. And it continued to happen. But I, kept, I started reading the Bible and I started praying privately. I didn't want my buddies to know it. Y'all ever done that? Anybody ever been in that situation? You're like, I'm praying, I'm reading, I'm doing it privately because I don't want nobody to know it. I was doing it at that time. And I started to read through the scriptures that, that prayer and fasting was actually a means of seeking God. So on Christmas Day 2007, I was 20 years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, you know what, God, this is your birthday or what? You know, I didn't know. I said something like that. And I, was, I didn't know anything about anything. I barely read three scriptures. You know, I was reading the Bible and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to change my life. I'm sick of the way I'm living. I need change. I decided I was not going to eat and I did not eat the entire Christmas Day 2007. I just didn't eat. They was eating all around me, son. They were having feasts. It was Christmas Day. That's a sacrifice, y'all. Everybody, let me tell you something. Everybody talk about fasting. They're like, well, I want to fast on a day when nobody else is eating. No, you need to fast on a day when everybody's eating. Fast on Thanksgiving. That's something God will honor right there. Everybody try to find the easy way out when it comes to fast. I think I'll fast broccoli. Yeah. Give me a break. Oh, man. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I fast on Christmas Day. I'm watching people eat. I'm about to eat the inside of my stomach. I might have even cussed a couple of times. I wasn't really, I was barely saved. I mean, I had just believed. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all been there. Somebody here. Somebody here been there. Right? I, I had just gotten saved. And it wasn't even sure yet. Like, I was still on the fence. Am I really saved? Like, is this, is this real? Because I didn't go to church. I just put my faith in Christ and said, Lord, you got to save me at least 100 times. But this change still wasn't there. You know, you can give your life to Jesus and still be bound up to some things. You can say, Jesus, I trust you and still be bound up to some things and need some freedom and need some transformation. That's what I needed. And so I didn't eat that day. And let me tell you something. What happened was, really, everything got worse after that day. Things started to go crazy in my life. But you know what? It was like God gave me enough strength to con continue to seek Him. I started moving my fasting. Every now and then I'd do a three-day fast and I'd pray. And I'd seek the Lord and I'd read the Bible. And I kept pressing in and I kept going after God. And after 11 months, that following November... I was changing, I was growing, ground was breaking up until I came to a breaking point and I said, God, I'm totally ready now to give up everything. I don't want the old life anymore. I sat, I sat there and wrestled with it for 11 months, trying to hang on to some things that I wanted and then trying to do some God, but a little bit of this, trying to hang on. And you, you try that forever and I'm telling you, you move nowhere. You stay stagnant, you don't move. And it came to a point where I said, God, I'm tired of it, I can't take it anymore, I'm sick of it. And in that moment when I was ready to give up the old me, he poured new wine into me and everything changed. I was set free from my addictions. He filled me with his spirit. Things were transformed. And were it not for that moment, I know I would not be where I'm at today, pastoring, preaching, doing things like that. It was through prayer and fasting and seeking God that he brought me into another dimension of my life that I didn't even know was there. I could have went a million different routes, right, in, in theory. 
But it was that, that seeking of God. And here's what, here's what Jesus says, and I kind of want to finish on, the, on, the, on this thought right here in the Scripture. In Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 39, here's what He says. He says, Then they said to Him, Why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. He's saying this to Jesus' disciples. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then He spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, notice this verse, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So they're saying, listen, Jesus, how come John's disciples fast and they pray, but your disciples, they just eat and drink, they ain't even fasting. And Jesus says to them, how can they fast while the bridegroom is here with them. In other words, God basically said that He was, he was the, the groom of Israel. He was, to be, he was betrothed to Israel. And, and when, when Israel was praying and fasting, it had become a religious ritual and it was tied into waiting and longing for something and mourning. And basically Jesus is saying, everything you've been fasting for, everything you've been waiting for, I am the fulfillment of it. I am the answer to it. He said, how can they fast and mourn and wait and long for something when everything they could ever long for is right here in their midst? And he says, you got to switch the way you're thinking about fasting. They're not fasting now because I'm here with them physically. But the days are coming when I'm going back to my Father in heaven. And when I go back, I'm sending the Holy Spirit and then my disciples will fast. Why will they fast then? They will fast then because it's changed. The Old Testament way of fasting was you're going to mourn, you're going to have a religious ritual, everybody's going to look at you and say, oh, wow, you're spiritual, look at all that. But the new way of fasting is not about mourning and waiting and longing. The new way of fasting is about the presence of God and being empowered to fulfill what He's called you to do. He's saying, now you can fast and you can come to me and I will fill you with my spirit. You will open yourself up so that I can be filled, that you can be filled with more of me and my presence is going to be there with you in a profound way and I will strengthen you and I will pour my spirit into you because now there's a new way of going about it. But then he moves into it and he gives you a little parable and he says, he says, he says this, he talks about these new wineskins because he's laying out, he says, look, there's something new for you and I promise you, if you'll prepare your hearts, there's new wisdom for you, there's new joy, there's healing of your brokenheartedness. There are addictions that you cannot shake. There are people in here that are addicted to drugs or pornography or whatever. I'm telling you, God can break that thing. God can break that thing off of your life. But there's all of these things where God can pour out his Holy Spirit, to develop your relationships, to give you abundant life. But here's the problem. In verse 39, he says it. He says, nobody having drunk old wine ever says the new is better. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you can come in and listen to a sermon like this, and you can say amen and amen and amen, and that would be great. Man, I sure would like some growth. That would be awesome. Transformation sounds great. But then you can go out, and what you prefer is actually the old and comfortable way and you're not actually willing to make the changes that will bring about the transformation. Because we like the old better. Don't we like the old better? And I pastored a church one time. That church was one time booming. 
You know what I'm saying? Little bitty church, but I saw videos, two or three hundred people in there worshiping, people getting saved everywhere. Things happening. And then year after year went by, they changed nothing. Always better, always better, always better. And slowly they died out and they dwindled out. And when I got there, there was about 30 people there. And I said, you know what? We probably need to make a few changes. So I said, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to make a few changes. And I believe here's biblically where I can lay it out to you so you know. Well, I had a woman get up. She said, well, what about when you've done all this and all we've done is lost our tradition? I said, where's your tradition taking you at this point? I said, is our goal still the gospel? Are we still here as a church to reach the lost and see people get saved and see people's lives transformed? Or are we just trying to maintain what we're used to and comfortable with? Is your life more about becoming like Jesus or is your life more about just being as comfortable as you can possibly be? You got to ask yourself, what am I willing to do? What, how am I willing to change? See, we need new wineskins. That's what he's basically saying. We want growth. We want transformation. We want re revival in theory, but we love the old way too, mu too much. And he says what happens is, is if you're going to have new wine, you've got to have a new wineskin. In other words, if God is going to pour something new into you, you've got to be willing to lay down the old. You've got to be willing to say, the way I used to do things, the way I used to think about things, the way that things used to be comfortable for me, God, I'm willing to lay that aside because I need new wine. And he's saying, well, if you want new wine, then you need to get a new wine skin. You need a new mindset. You need new disciplines. You need a heart change. You need to get ready. And in order to receive this newness that God has for you, you're going to have to make a few changes. And in order to do that, you've got to desire God and transformation more than you desire your own comfort. So you've got to put new wine in new wineskins because what, what did he say? He said, if I, I want to give you something new. Listen to me. I want to give you something new. But he says, if I was to pour this new wine into your current wineskin, what, what, what wine does is it ferments and it expands. And he says, if I gave it to you the way that you are, it would burst and open up, and he said, then the new wine would be spilled, and you would be busted open, and you would have nothing good anyway. So he's saying, you've got to prepare yourself and get a new wineskin. But see, old wineskins, they're stiff. They don't stretch. Are there areas in your life where you're unwilling to change? You're unwilling to receive correction. You're unwilling to stretch. There was a woman named Grace Hopper. She made this statement. I want you to listen to this. The most damaging phrase in the language is, We've always done it this way. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, we've always done it this way. And we try to hang on to the same things that we've always done. This is just the way that I've always done. Let me tell you something. This year needs to be a year that we do things differently. This year needs to be a year that we say, God, I'm ready for change. I'm ready for my mindset to change. I'm ready to receive what I need to receive. And I'm ready to bring you the old me in exchange for the new. Whatever you need to do in my life. Proverbs 12.1 says this. To learn the truth, you must long to be teachable or you can despise correction and remain ignorant. Do you long to be teachable? Do you say, God, I want you to teach me something new. Give me the strength to make some changes that I need to make, to make the necessary changes. See, new wine is coming when we're, when we're finally open when we're finally willing to say, you know what, God, I see what your word says and I want to go through this process. Lord, I need to start to study your word. I need to maybe get a book where I can read and study and meditate and think on these things and I need to develop my prayer life. 
I need to become more like you. I need to figure out what it means to truly worship. And God, I need to be filled with your spirit in such a way where, where my heart is burning to share Jesus with somebody else that they would give their life to Jesus. And many of you right now, maybe that's where you're at, where you just, you just need to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm ready to make a start. Like I'm ready for the new wine of salvation to just be poured into my heart so I can experience what you're talking about, Clay, so that I can experience some level of change. Because the weight of sin, man, it's, it's too heavy to carry. I remember we was talking about Bob. And Bob, he had, come, he had come to church like several times and had been going for a while. And Barb had been praying for him for like 19 years. And he tells the story, you know, when he got saved, I can't remember how long ago it was. It, like I said, it was before I got here. But he was in church a couple of weeks. And one week they noticed he was sitting back there crying. And they said, Bob, won't you, won't you pray? Won't you come up here and let's pray? And he said, no, I'm good. He held off. Well, the next week, basically the same thing is going on. And Barb goes up and she's praying for Bob. And, uh, and she's praying for him at an altar. She's been praying 19 years. And all of a sudden, somebody pokes her on the shoulder and says, Barb, Barb. And she said, well, I, she said, I was just praying so hard for people. That she, she said, I didn't even turn around. She said, all the while, Bob was over there getting saved. I've been praying for 19 years and I missed it. <laughs> but something happened in his heart that day. Man, the weight of sin. He started to feel that weight. He said it. He said, I, I just felt the weight of it. The weight of that sin. And he said, I knew I had to do something. God was dealing with me. He said, so I went up and I prayed. And he said, he said, and he, and he, told, he said this over and over again. He said, if I would have known, he said, I would have done it so much sooner. I would have done it so much sooner. And I'm telling you, in our lives, I believe if we would have known the fullness of what God has for us. For some of us, it's, it may just be salvation. For others, it may just be what God actually has for our lives. And if we would have really known, we would have done it sooner, I'm sure. Would you agree with that? Why don't you bow your heads with me? I want us to pray together. And let's just start right there because some of you, I want to, I want to give you a real opportunity just like Bob had. And maybe you sense that. Maybe you sense the weight of your sin and, and, and the fact that you need to turn to Jesus. You need to experience forgiveness. You need to experience salvation. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. But right where you're at, at your seat, would you raise your hand and say, I want to do that. I want to take that step. I want to move forward. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody? I see a hand right there. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. For the rest of us, I want us to pray. I'm going to pray with you, young man, just in a little bit. For the rest of us, I want us to pray and say, God, where, where am I at right now? What can I change? What, what changes do I need to make? Where do I need to deal with certain things in my life? So, Lord, we just come to you right now. And just like that song says, God, would you make us a vessel? Would you make us an offering? Lord, make us whatever you need us to be. Pour new wine into us. God, give us the grace. Give us the strength. It's so hard for us sometimes to make change and, and make the necessary change to become a follower and a disciple that brings about true transformation. But God, we know you want to pour your spirit out in a way where that change comes. And so right now, Father, I'm just asking you to move on each of our hearts to expose the things that are not of you. Give us the strength to lay it down and say, God, help us to make the changes that we need to. Prepare us for consecration. Let us set ourselves apart to you, God, so that you can use us in ways that you never have before. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful for you. And we bless your name. We lift it up. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to take a moment just to worship together. I want you to respond however you see fit. If you need prayer.